Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's Word and Truth. The man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You can't handle the truth! Now, here's the host of Stand Up For The Truth, Mike LeMay. Unashamed of the gospel and standing on the truth of God in the Bible. Good morning, Mike LeMay and David Fiorazzo. We welcome you to another edition of Stand Up For The Truth. And we have a jam-packed show today after we open in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for giving us another day to love you, to serve you, to be salt and light in our families, our communities, our culture. And we pray, God, that you would give us wisdom and uh, just show us, Lord, uh, what to do one step at a time as we uh, try to speak your truth and try to lead others to you. And God, we need discernment in these days, and um, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the hope that we have that is an anchor to our soul, and we thank you, Lord God, for your peace. And uh, we just praise you for what you're doing. We know you're working in the realm of the Spirit. We get a little discouraged at what's going on in our Uh, culture in our country and uh, the darkness that's all around us. But Lord, you said to be salt and light. So increase our faith that we may never stop proclaiming your truth and the good news and uh, lead us today in this hour. And then uh, for the rest of the day, Lord, we trust in you in all things. And we lift this time up to you. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In our final segments today, we often discuss how radical liberalism is eventually exposed and dismissed because of its obvious self-defeating contradictions. Well, in their zeal to develop more and more protected classes of people, they eventually run into a contradiction they cannot reconcile with their attempts to make everyone feel like a victim. Well, this morning we look at liberals and feminists joining conservative women in pushing back against the Equality Act introduced by House Democrats that would impose national protections and special rights to those who identify as transgender. We're also going to look at a report of a growing number of Catholics who are now considering leaving their church because of the wide-ranging sexual abuse scandals within their church. But first, we're joined by Preston Condra. Preston is an author and a biblical apologist. He's an ordained Southern Baptist minister, a graduate of Oklahoma Baptist University and Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Now, he was a youth and adult singles minister for 10 years before joining the staff of Watchman Fellowship with James Walker in 2001. He's preached across uh, the United States and churches and has served as an adjunct professor and guest le- lecturer at Christian colleges and seminaries. Now, he was the author of Universalism in the Popular Encyclopedia of Apologetics. Apologetics, excuse me. Uh, Preston and his wife, Kelly, desire to support the body of Christ in its evangelistic and other ministry efforts, and they share a passion for a clear and thorough gospel message. And today he's here to talk to us about a new book called Papa Let's Talk. Preston, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Mike, thank you for having me. It's good to be with you. Good to have you with us all the way from the great state of Texas, Preston. Hey, <laughs> you you and your lovely bride, Kelly, who's a Wisconsin native, uh, have started yes. a ministry called Sufficient Word Publishing. What led you to start this? Well, we um, we really wanted to uh, have a desire to have a, a clear gospel presented and to help believers share their faith. 
as well as to grow in their faith. So we want to, our goal is to write materials that do just that, that are practical books that Christians can use in, uh, week in and week out to share their faith with believers and to grow in their faith as a believer. But we also want the books and the way they turn out are they're easy to pick up and teach in churches for Sunday school classes, small groups, pastor-led studies, so that we can equip the body. And so that's really our goal. We want to come alongside believers and come alongside local churches and help them be effective in communicating a clear gospel. And Preston, um, I'm, I haven't read your book. Um, I think I'm just looking at the title, Papa, Let's Talk About Jesus. I wish we would have had it uh, around here 30, 40 years ago in, in the oh, church yeah. in this country because it starts with the kids, and the kids, if they're not being taught at home, we all know what they have to deal with and what they are bombarded with when they go to school for many hours during the day yep. by their peers, by social media, by Hollywood, in our government, and everything else in our culture. So tell us a little bit about the background for what led you and Kelly to uh, put this children's book, Papa, Let's Talk About Jesus, together. Well, that's a good question, David. Um, you know, when we put our first uh, two books out, by which we are saved, and I have some good news that are books on the gospel that are a help to believers in sharing their faith. Um, one of the pastors of the churches that was using the book <clears throat> came to me and said, hey, these are good and helpful for everyday believers. You, you really need to do a book on helping parents and grandparents share the gospel with their children. And so Kelly and I talked about it and weren't sure how exactly to go about it. We thought it was a good idea. We just weren't really sure exactly how to go about that. So not long after we Kelly and I talked about that. We were actually looking through some of uh, her old photos of her childhood. And so we came across one that we thought was one of those Papa Let's Talk times that she had growing up. Because when she was growing up, every time she'd go over to her grandpa's house, she would always say, Papa, let's talk. And so they'd sit down and go to talking about whatever's on her mind. And it hit me uh, when we came across that, that, that that would be a great children's book, Papa, Let's Talk, and have Papa explain the gospel to Kelly. So um, we use the, you know, we use that to develop into the children's book. Now, I, I should note there, it, it's not actually, it wasn't an actual event that Papa explained the gospel to Kelly, but the Papa Let's Talk events happen frequently. So we wanted to take the event and turn it into a children's book, and it turns out it's a great uh, story way of explaining the gospel to children, to have the grandpa doing that. And we use actual photos from Kelly's childhood from her family. So the photos you see in there are actually from her and her family growing up. So we, we thought that would be more unique to go with photos and drawings. And um, so we think it turned out really good. Also, let me say this, our, our philosophy with the book goes right along with what you're saying, David, um, because the idea of waiting to teach children scripture allows the pollution of false teaching to get them at an early age. You know, I was speaking at a church in central Oklahoma just a few weeks ago, and an eight-year-old came up to me crying and said, someone told me on the playground that Jesus wasn't real and the Bible's not true, and I don't know what to say. Eight years old, right? Mm -hmm. So our mm -hmm. philosophy is let's pour Scripture into them early. They can learn it. They learn things quickly. So let's pour that into their young minds early as much as possible and since they're capable of learning that, let's give it to them. You can even make it into a, a fun event 
you know, when they learn a passage, you know, give them a treat, turn it into a game. We turn it into an activity at the end of the book where the kids can memorize scripture with Kelly and Papa. Mm. Um, and so I, I think this, we think this is significant in the life of children. And, and also, we, why wait until they're old enough to decide for themselves? They're going to be impacted by uh, false teaching from a young age early in the schools if they're going to public schools. So, uh, you know, let's counter that early, early, as yeah. early as possible. They can learn very early in life. And so that's that's a philosophy in, in our book. And we've got a note at the end of the book to parents and grandparents or those who are reading to the children that explains our philosophy there. Um, so it, it's significant, uh, significant for the kids to do that. And they'll learn it. They can pick up on it fast. Yeah, science has really proven that at a very young age, the, the brain is very pliable. It's very open to being taught at a young age. And Preston, I'm wondering, I, I don't think any of us would dispute the wisdom of teaching our children the gospel at a very young age. But, but I'm curious about your thoughts on this. It seems that word gospel is thrown a lot, thrown around a lot by religious people. And boy, sometimes you don't hear a clear, concise, consistent message of what that gospel is. Oh, that, yeah, that's a good point, Mike. Too, let me say this on what we were just talking about, too, on the philosophy of teaching them the scripture early. Um, we encourage starting with the King James with them early because, uh, and we have a note on this in the back, because if you go with the more modern translations early, it's it's easier if you start with the older translations for them to move to the newer translations than vice versa. So we encourage the King James early. That's just our philosophy mm. of why we use the King James. And that's what we've noticed in our lives. It's easier to learn that early than to go from a modern translation to the King James. Because a lot of times the King James is better than some of the modern translations, in my view. So, because um, we get asked that, why do we use that? Well, it's easier for kids to learn at a younger age. So, uh, that's our thought on that. Uh, that's a good question on the gospel. We want to be clear um, on what the gospel is. Because you're right, that word gets thrown around and used a lot. That, that It's all meaningless mm. in evangelical circles. What do we mean by that? Uh, so, First Corinthians fifteen one through four is what we use. That's you know Man. that's the only passage in the Bible that fully states the the saving gospel message. Amen. There are lots of verses in the Bible about you know different aspects of the gospel, but this is the only place where it's fully stated. It that passage says that this is the gospel by which we are saved. Says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And in, and in our book, this is the first passage that Papa teaches Kelly. And this is, the, this is where I suggest starting your Scripture memory with your children, is this passage right here. Because this is what God says it takes for them to believe to be saved. That Jesus died for their sins according to the Scriptures, He was buried, and on the third day He rose from the dead according to the scriptures. You know, we can't take shortcuts in, in sharing the gospel with people and say, follow Jesus, give your heart to Jesus, ask Jesus into your heart. None of these things are the gospel, because the gospel is what Paul says right there in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Let's teach the kids that and let them grab onto that thing first. Amen. I always share that with people, 1 Corinthians 15. Um, 
I wanted to ask you, Preston, on the book cover, there's a picture of Kelly and her grandfather. She looks very, very young there, and I'm guessing maybe she's two years old there. Um, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's something that we can apply to our lives as Christians. But mm-hmm. does that mean children too? And how young? You said you believe, I, as we do, it's important to start young because mm-hmm. of this world that we live in, what kids are going to be dealing with. So how do you start and what's too young to start sharing Scripture with children? I don't think anything's too young. Start with them as, as young as you start reading them things. Read them Scripture. Well, they hear it in the you womb. Know? They can learn in the womb, right? <laughs> yeah. Why not? I, I Yeah. It, if you're going to read anything to them, why not read Scripture to them, too? You're going to read other things to them. Um, let's start pouring Scripture to them early um, and start, you know, developing their thinking. Part of what we're countering, David, is this wait-and-see mentality that people have with kids. Well, we'll just wait let them grow up and decide for themselves. Well, they're going to be influenced by all kinds of people uh, and all kinds of ideas. Let's start with what's true with mm-hmm. them early, early. So I say as soon as you start reading them something, include include Scripture passages with them. Start pouring into them as early as possible. Mm. There's no downside to it at all. Yeah. <laughs> no. Right? None whatsoever. Right. You know, Preston, uh, how do you explain the concept of a Savior? To a young child, I mean, many adults don't think they need a savior. So, how do we explain this concept of a savior to someone who's three or four years old? Right, that's a great question. And, and here's what the concept means. Here's what we're expressing: a savior is someone who does something for you that you can't do for yourself, mm-hmm. right? And so, the way we illustrate it in in the book, without giving all the contents of the book away is this when uh kelly had a dog growing up named peanuts and so uh we found a picture we didn't we we didn't find a picture of peanuts that we could use but we found a picture of a dog that's you know kind of similar to peanuts he was in the water and so what happens is peanuts falls into the uh the water and kelly's dad rescues peanuts right and so Papa recites that story to Kelly, reminding her, you remember when, when your dad rescued peanuts from the water? And, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, well, well, you know, your dad saved peanuts. He did something for him that he couldn't do for himself. So he saved him. So that's how we illustrate uh, what a Savior is. And by the way, you know, here's, a, here's an interesting thing with this. I think um, a lot of adults will grab onto some of the illustrations and concepts, too, as they're reading through Papa, let's talk to their children and grandchildren. And that's one of those I think people will grab onto. Uh, Preston, before uh, we, we don't want to run out of time before we hear about your other books. Now, you've published three others. Could you give us the titles and maybe a little bit about them and where people can get them as well? Yes. Um, our first two books were By Which We Are Saved, which is a handbook helping believers share their faith. We solved the three fears we hear from believers about sharing their faith. Mm. I don't know what to say. I'm afraid to offend because of political correctness, and I'm afraid I can't answer objections. So in that book, we solve all three of those fears. And what really makes it a hand is there's an index in the back of the objection. So we answer every objection there is to the gospel, broken down by each piece of the gospel, who he is, what he did, how I get it, why I need it, where I find it. Those are the five things Paul 
covers in that passage. Um, and it's laid out where it can be taught in churches real easily. The other one is, I have some good news. This is basically the same material, the gospel and all the objections answered. But the flavor of it's a little different because we're now engaging the unbeliever, the person with questions. Um, and then we have our book, uh, Bearing Fruit or Living Barren. This is a, a basic Christian book on Christian spirituality, you know, understanding what a carnal Christian is, what a, a, a spiritual Christian is, understanding what bearing fruit is and what it's not. And again, it's it's a lot of scripture in there laid out where it's easy to teach. But these are all principles that all of us as believers probably need to be referring back to regularly. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have populist talk. All these can be uh, found on Amazon, or you can go into any place that sells books and order it in the bookstore. Hey, Preston, a couple minutes left. I, I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on something. I'm hearing more and more Christian fellowships. You know, the traditional model is, okay, we do the announcement, sing a song, we send the children off to children's church. More and more fellowships are letting the children stay right in there for the entire service. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I think it's good having them in church, you know. Um, they I think they learn some good social skills there, when to be quiet, when to not talk. Um, you know, they're going to hear Scripture there. Now, in church, I'm sure that they hear plenty of Scripture, too. I know a church I worked on staff at in Oklahoma, we had regular memory verses for the kids, so they were learning more scripture memory verses than probably any of the adults in the church. And so we saw a lot of benefit in the church there. I don't know how frequent that is with other children's programs. Um, so I see I see benefit for them um, um, in the church service, you know, too. Um, I, I think it I think Mike, it depends on what's happening if they're going to children's church, what's happening in there. Exactly. You know? Yeah, you know, Preston, to... I was I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of years ago, uh, and their their uh, youth teacher was telling them that we don't know for sure if the flood really happened, and we don't know for sure mm. if there was a Garden of Eden. Oh my! I mm. mean, that's you talk about putting mm. doubt in a young uh, yeah. person's mind. Yeah, I, that kind of thing, absolutely not. That's yeah, that's what I mean. I don't I don't know what the content would be if the content is lots of scripture memory and we're teaching scripture correctly, then wonderful. Um, otherwise, they they need to be, if there's not confidence in that, then they don't need to have that. They need to be in church, listening to the pastor. Hopefully the pastor's not getting into that stuff, too. <laughs> you, you hope not, right? for sure. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully there's a clear presentation of the gospel uh, from the pulpits, you know. Um, we we are the ones who have to be clear in the pulpits what the gospel is and, and what it's not. Mm. You know, and so I would say that that would be the key, the key ingredient. Hopefully, whether they're in children's church or in church, they're here an accurate presentation of, you know, Scripture and of what the gospel is. Mm. Well, Preston, we sure appreciate you taking the time, and I'd love to have you back <clears throat> in the coming months to talk about your other books, particularly that one that talks about, you know, fruitful or barren. I think that's an important message uh, for us mm-hmm. as believers, because if I understand the Scriptures correctly, if you're not bearing fruit for Christ— you might question if you're saved to begin with. Well, we'd we'd love to come on. Maybe we can arrange it where Kelly can be on with me too. We'd love to come on and talk about that. That would be nice. It's always nice to bring the smarter spouse into the into the conversation, <laughs> isn't it? It really is. It really is. That's right. <laughs> well, Preston, hey, can, 
Can we tell them to give us a like on Facebook if, if they have a chance? Go ahead. I think our, you just did, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our, our, our Facebook site is facebook.com backslash sufficient word. Facebook.com backslash sufficient word. We're not famous or anything, so if you could go on and give us a like, we'd sure appreciate that. Uh, and we'll make sure we've got links here to your website and to your books, Preston. Thanks for taking the time, and I'll have Nancy get back in touch with you to schedule you to come back on as soon as we can. Hey, great. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, David. Great talking with you guys. Thanks, Thank Preston. You. Preston Condra, again, the book, uh, Papa, Let's Talk About Jesus. Uh, check it out. Uh, and let's start teaching our children at a young age what the gospel is, because as David and Preston said, there's a world out there just waiting to confuse them. When we come back, a strange alliance against Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats. You're hearing Stand Up For The Truth. Got a comment or question? Text the keyword speak up to 90100. That's speak up to 90100. Stand up for the truth. We'll be back. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit standupforthetruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. One thing you're going to hear recurring on this show over the next several years is how radical liberalism is self-contradictory. And given enough time, uh, its ideas implode. Same with Marxism, everything else. Something may sound good on the surface, but eventually, when you bring these concepts full circle, they're full of contradiction and they are exposed. But the problem is they do so much damage in the meantime. This is an intriguing article I found over the weekend at the Christian Post by Brandon Showalter, and it's titled, Feminists, Conservatives, and Lesbians Urge Congress to Scrap Gender Identity from the Equality Act. A coalition of radical feminists, lesbians, and politically conservative women are petitioning the government to scrap the words gender identity in federal civil rights legislation that's been introduced into Congress. The inclusion of this into the Equality Act, these women say, erases sex-based protections that feminists and others have fought for in previous decades, and women as a category are essentially scrubbed from the law. Interesting. Women and girls face increased risk of exploitation by predatory males who will use gender identity to invade their private spaces, the group maintains. Now, the Equality Act is an update of the 1964 civil rights law guaranteeing freedoms previously denied to African Americans and many of it considered to be Martin Luther King's legacy. Both the radical feminist organization Women's Liberation Front, a left-wing radical feminist organization, and the Hands Across the Aisle Coalition, a bipartisan group of women resisting transgender activism, are banding together despite profound differences on other issues and issued statements denouncing the Equality Act as a full frontal assault on women and girls. Now, this bill has the support of 161 major corporations in our nation. And here's a quote from the group. In the era of hashtag me too, it's hard to understand why these companies are willing to endanger women and girls by acting so deliberately to undermine the nation's indecent exposure and voyeurism restrictions in what are supposed to be single sex accommodations. Is it any wonder that many of them have recently faced significant sexual harassment allegations or had large bias or sexual harassment claims brought against them. The statement cites a report from Wales Online, which notes that in Cardiff, the capital of Wales, where mixed-sex toilets were recently installed in schools, girls are skipping school because boys are shaming them over their periods and the fear of being sexually harassed. 
This is no different than what happens in developing nations when menstruating girls have inadequate toilet facilities or facilities they must share with boys. To think that this wouldn't occur in developed nations smacks of chauvinistic notions of progress that use per capita income as a proxy for moral development. The bipartisan coalition asserted, quote, We ask that these major brands and multinational corporations and the nonprofit virtue signalers who represent their interests stand down this full frontal assault on the, the privacy and dignity of women and girls. We ask that they act instead to encourage respect for everyone's right to single-sex accommodations as originally guaranteed in all previous civil rights laws, recognizing the state's interest in discouraging sex-based discrimination against women and girls. Likewise, board directors of Women's Liberation Front noted in their statement that, quote, the gender identity provisions of the Equality Act will forbid the law uh, will forbid the law to see sex while legitimizing sex stereotypes. And by doing so, they will destroy the law's ability to actually fight sexism or protect women from male harassment and violence. The concept of gender identity is not only unrelated to sexual orientation. These are feminists saying this. I want to read this again. The concept of gender identity is not only unrelated to sexual orientation. In some respects, it is directly contrary and undermines the ability to prevent discrimination and harassment against same-sex attracted individuals. What they're saying here is this law will actually damage the people it's trying to help. Now, the legislation is being considered largely at the behest of the Human Rights Campaign. We've talked about them. They are the nation's leading, leading LGBTQ activist organization. And... Uh, uh, Here's another quote from Natasha Chart, the board chair of Women's Liberation Front. People across the spectrum oppose gender identity ideology because no one really believes in human sex change. Everyone knows you can't change sex, but out of either a desire to be kind or social pressure, some people are willing to act as though it's possible. This is and always has been a polite social fiction. It was introduced to ease both the discomfort of people, primarily men at first, who didn't like the sex stereotype roles expected of them, and of other people who were upset at seeing others reject sex stereotype behavior. But it's anachronistic. So in other words, it's anarchy. Uh, go ahead, David. While most of the views of the women of Women's Liberation Front are decidedly left of center, the political left at large appears to think that they need a new social justice cause, along with an opportunity to present themselves as allies to a marginalized group of people and offer an everything-you-know-is-wrong kind of critique, she said. The irony that they're mainly doing this on behalf of men and many very wealthy white men, seems lost on most of them, she said of the left. Quote, after so many years of RuPaul's drag race, is anyone still that bothered by seeing men in dresses and lipstick? Women of every description, especially as we get older, are very likely to wear pants, have short hair, go out without makeup, and most people don't think anything of it. 
Thus, those on the left backing the inclusion of gender identity in the Equality Act are attempting to frame this topic to cohere with their standard narrative and enemies, she said, adding that they would otherwise have to engage feminist arguments against gender ideology, which they seem afraid of doing and is harder. Quote, what they should be concerned about is the inevitable fallout from what's going to be a medical child abuse scandal like nothing they've ever seen. They think Twitter is judgmental? Wait until they have to face detransitioners and their families asking why they didn't do anything to stop this. Mm, let's uh, summarize the article here. Uh, Meg Kilgannon, a conservative Catholic member of the Hands Across the Aisle Coalition, believes it's important for people to put aside their differences and deal with the present threats to women and girls. Conservatives and Christians who think transgender ideology and the concept of a self-determined gender identity other than biological sex is so ridiculous that it will never be acted into law. And, and Kalenin says these people are misinformed. Conservatives largely don't think we need to say that men can't be women and women can't be men because it's obvious. We don't think we need to talk about that. But we absolutely must say that and must keep saying it. The right to even speak these obvious truths is under assault in the proposed legislation, Meg said. Quote, to say that out loud, you could face fines. You could be accused of a hate crime for simply stating the fact that a man is a man, even if he wears a dress that does not make him a woman. Now, she told the Christian Post that although she might not agree, with left-wing women on issues like same-sex marriage and abortion, conservatives should table those differences and fight together because being a woman means something. And her final quote is, and if anyone can claim to be a woman, then it doesn't mean anything to be one. I'm willing to work with anyone on this issue because it is the defining issue of our time. Very, very interesting how, again, the left, as it gets more and more radical, and leads to more and more chaos, eventually it turns on its own. And here you have feminist, pro-abortionist women saying this transgender ideology idea is goofy, and it's destructive, and it's going to hurt the very people it claims to help. I know. I thought I had um, several years ago, I don't know if it was four years ago or eight years ago, at one of the Olympic events, I had written about a... um, a man, you know, a transgender, a man performing in the Olympics. And, um, you know, I got some blowback from Christians saying, you know, why don't you just, that's being judgmental. Why don't you just let them, you know, be who they think they want to be or who they are, which is a lie because they are, they are who God made them to be, not who they are trying to change into. But I thought this is going to, I can't see it doing anything but blowing up because once women start losing races, competitive races in sports to men who are now posing as women or saying they're transgender, whatever, this is going to create more problems from the Olympics all the way down to uh, grade school and high school athletics to sports to track and field. We already had some young girls in high school coming out and saying, well, this isn't fair, but I don't want to judge anybody. I don't want to judge them. So they don't really know how to respond, or at least they're still holding back. But, yeah, it's going to blow up, and we kind of see it happening little by little. But 
especially with the left now coming out and saying, well, wait a minute. <laughs> we've, got to, we've got to say something about this because going, they're going a little too far. Well, they're, they're, I mean, this thing, uh, if you consider yourself a feminist, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, this type of legislation is the worst thing you can, that can happen to you as a feminist because women, they should be treated equally in the eyes of the law. I, I have no problem with that whatsoever. They are certainly treated equally in God's eyes. Nowhere in the Bible does it say women are inferior to men. We have differing roles, such as the man being the leader of the household, but nowhere does God say or infer that women are inferior to men. So here you have all of these feminists that have risen up and said, we wanted to be treated as equal to men. And now you've got this whole transgender issue. And, and David, add to the fact that many in the transgender issue or movement are saying, well, you know, sex is non-binary. So in other words, I can be a man on Monday and a woman on Tuesday and maybe uh, something else on Wednesday. You know, this just smacks of Satan's modus operandi. He is a, quote-unquote, God of confusion, while the God we serves, serve is a God of order. He has put order into place. Male or female, he has created them. He's given men unique responsibilities and benefits, and he's given women unique responsibilities and benefits. This type of legislation, no matter how well-intentioned by Nancy Pelosi and this school of radical liberals that have come to power in Congress, is, is destructive on so many fronts. And it's going to take us as a nation right where Satan wants us, chaos. And again, we're there so, already, I think. W- yeah, but I tell you, every time something like this is passed, you know, now I'm going to be really curious to see how the Republicans respond to this. It's going to be a done deal in the House of Representatives because it's dominated by the Democrats. It has to go to the Senate to become law. Currently, I think the Republicans have like a 53 to 47 majority, roughly, in the Senate. Well, if you count uh, Lisa Murkowski and some of those. And and some very liberal Republicans in there. So uh, this is a conundrum for the left. And again, when you peel back the onion on this, folks, it is self-destructive, self-contradictory. No doubt it ends up blowing up. But the problem is how much capital damage, collateral damage, is done in the meantime. And David, certainly the last thing we should be doing if we love people who are struggling with gender identity is do things like this that, that support their confusion. We need to be clear with them, and we need to help them see truth as the Bible states it and as how science itself confirms it. There is nothing you can do to change your God-given gender. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking about the so-called Equality Act. It's an update to the 1964 civil rights law guaranteeing freedoms previously denied to African Americans. What does that do to racism, skin color, which cannot be changed? They're born with, you know, that's their skin, right? Um, it's considered by many to be one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacies, but now they're trying to put just throw sexual orientation under all this. So this is, if, if you think about the most radical, liberal, I'm going to say godless, um, politicians in our country backing this Equality Act, then you know it is anti-Christian, and you know it's not equality. That's not what they're after. They're not after equal rights. 
they are after special, special rights. rights. And there's so many, there's a lot of information out there, Alliance Defending Freedom and others. There's nothing about the Equality Act that is equal. No. So understand, they, they're brilliant, Mike, at naming bills, at naming things. Justice, you know, they throw around equality, justice, yeah. equality, fairness. Whenever they throw those words around, watch out because it's, there's probably something in there that is not just equal or fair for religious freedoms or for Christians in particular. Unless this gender dysphoria issue is put to bed once and for all, let me tell you another way this is going to hurt women. Uh, we go back to Title IX, I believe it was in the 1970s, where the Supreme Court upheld that a university or a high school, if it has sporting teams, must give equal funding to women's athletics as it did to men's athletics. Now, the economic problem with that is if you look at, let's say, college basketball, men's college basketball programs bring in billions of dollars to universities. Women's lose money generally unless you have an incredible uh, team like a Connecticut or Tennessee or Notre Dame. What's going to happen here is eventually all of this confusion is going to make Title IX irrelevant. And what you might see happen is no more men's or women's sports. We're going to have a basketball team, a football team, a soccer team, a baseball team. Everyone can compete equally. And because of the way God engineered men and women, very few women are going to be able to compete at a high school or college level athletically with men. We're just made different. Men are bigger, stronger, faster. So you're, eventually this is going to destroy much of the progress that feminists made. And by necessity, unless this confusion is cleared up, bye-bye Title IX. Mike, what would you say to someone who would uh, respond by um, saying, well, that sounds pretty chauvinistic for you to say men are uh, bigger, stronger, and faster? I would simply say look at the facts and take the women's, take the greatest women's athletes of any sport and put them up against the greatest men's athlete of sports. No contest. You've got women, uh, the, the LPGA, the Ladies uh, Professional Golf Association, has some wonderful golfers on it. But every once in a while, some of them like Annika Sorenstam or Michelle Wee and uh, uh, the latest Lee, I can't think of her, her name, uh, Lexi Thompson, have tried to compete with men. They can't even make the initial cut. Wow. They're, they're, women are just built differently than men. And, and so I think they should be treated equally. I have no doubt about it. But this press towards... Uh, equality for all is going to be the most damaging thing that's done to women because eventually, you know, it, it, they at least physically, they cannot compete. And it's going to destroy college scholarships and, and many of the ways that sometimes underprivileged women can get a college education. That's true. And I, I really feel for young high school and junior high school girls who are in many schools across the country having to compete, particularly in track and field, against boys who are, they say they're transgender. I really feel for some of these girls because there's one that was interviewed that, that said, hey, I, that was my chance to, I was one of the ones that was cut, and that was my chance to have a scholarship and go to college. Yeah. And so this is, it's, it's sad that this is happening, but you remove truth and anything goes. Indeed. You get rid of truth and anything goes. Very, very profound. You're listening to Stand Up for the Truth on Q90FM. When we come back, Catholics rethinking their Catholic membership. 
Stand up for the truth. We'll continue in a moment. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. Well, I got breaking news in case you've been uh, Rip Van Winkle and sleeping for 40 years. The world's a mess. Not just the world, but that which we call Christianity is getting more and more confusing. And here's an interesting article from the ChristianHeadlines.com about Catholics rethinking their faith. Well, a growing percentage of U.S. Catholics are rethinking their commitment after the abuse scandals. More Catholics are questioning their membership and participation in the Church after heavily publicized sexual abuse scandals. 37% of Catholics in the United States say they've been questioning whether or not they would stay in the Church after details of the ongoing abuse and cover-up became public. Gallup interviewed U.S. Catholics uh, in January and February. This was the first time they had asked U.S. Catholics about their commitment to the church since the Boston Globe's reports of abuse in the Boston area and the lengths leaders at all levels went uh, so they could keep the abuse quiet. In 2002, 22% of U.S. Catholics said yes to the question, As a result of the recent news about sexual abuse of young people by priests, have you personally questioned whether you would remain in the Catholic Church or not? The number rose by 15% in 2019. In 2002, 66% of U.S. Catholics said they had not considered leaving, while it dropped to 62% in 2019. In reporting their findings, Gallup said it was unclear whether Catholics who are questioning their church membership will actually decide to leave the church. Many Catholics may consider leaving the church but ultimately decide not to do so, or they may have no intention of leaving but simply be responding to this question as a way to express their frustration with the way the church has handled the problem. Oh, my goodness, how noncommittal can you be? Well, I, I, <laughs> I, I think, David, now you were not raised Catholic, right? Yes, I was. Oh, you were. Okay. Do you, you, it was kind of like your identity. I mean, when I was, I was an altar boy when I was a, a young boy, and just being Catholic is who I was. And, and I will never forget uh, at age 45 when I— uh, the Spirit of the Lord just came upon me and, and make me realize I need to confess before the Lord and throw myself on his mercy. Uh, my mother, who was a, a very moral Catholic woman and always wanted us, you know, she wanted me to be a priest when I was young. Um, I told her, I said, you know, Mom, I, I've committed my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And she said, well, are you coming back to the Catholic Church? And I said, no, I, we found a Bible teaching church that really, really is teaching me what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh-oh. My poor mother wept for two weeks. <laughs> I was getting calls at 10 and 11 o'clock at night with her sobbing, saying, well, Mike, if you don't come back to the Catholic Church, you're going to hell. She was genuinely concerned. And I, so I, it's a mentality within Catholicism that – that basically, if you're if you're born Catholic and baptized and you do the sacraments, you're going to heaven. None of those get you to heaven. No different than an evangelical who goes to church on Sundays and says the sinner's prayer. There's no guarantee he's going to heaven. But it's really a mentality within Roman Catholicism uh, at a very young age when you go through the Catholic uh, teachings that that's kind of what's your identity, Mike LeMay, Roman Catholic. Um, what's what is the word anathema? mean? Uh, to them, that means like apostate. Okay. So let him be an anathema means he's not even a believer. So that's what the Catholic Church believes and teaches about you and I. Th- there are, we are yeah, there, there an are, anathema. Well, and you know, their catechism 
gets modified every 10 years. And I noticed the last time, and, and I won't pretend I've spent hundreds of hours going through this, but that word anathema appears less and less. Now, does that does that uh, coincide with this move towards a one-world religion? And mm. But it is interesting because in, in some of the previous, and I don't know about the latest one, but in the previous ones, yeah, you know what, if we're not Catholics and we don't do the sacraments, let him be considered anathema, mm-hmm. yet the same catechism embraces Muslims as worshiping the same God as Christians. So it's it's confusing. Um, you know, the well, Muslims po- were never Catholics. No, but, but— So that's their— Well, the, no, but the Catholic Church teaches, I believe it's paragraph 841, that the plan of salvation includes foremost the Muslim, who worship the same merciful God as we do. Well, they don't worship the same no, God. They, they worship a false deity. Um, but it, it's this pope. <laughs> talk about having a lot on his plate and inviting a lot on his plate. I mean, he's made some interesting statements in the past. Remember when he met with the young man, who a young boy who cried and said, "My dad was an atheist. Is he in heaven?" And the pope didn't say yes, but he he sure made it sound like you know God's mercy is available to the atheist. It is, but the atheist must confess and put his faith in Christ first. This pope is a master of the double entendre. He sounds like a politician. He really does. He, he really does. So, you know, so what do we do with this, David? If we've got friends who are in the Catholic Church, and I get in, I get in trouble whenever I say this, so let me get in trouble again. <laughs> no denomination can save you. Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, Evangelical, Presbyterian, Methodist— Denominations do not save us. Confessing before our Lord and and confessing of our sinful nature and putting our faith in who Jesus Christ is and what he accomplished on the cross, that is the bar for salvation. So I do know people who are still in the Roman Catholic Church that based on the fruit and testimony I've seen from them, I believe they're born-again believers. I do question them sometimes, should you remain in the church? But what do we do now if we've got Catholic friends who are going— Boy, with this sex scandal, I just don't know. Um, I think the first thing we need to understand is that many Catholics have never really heard the gospel presented clearly. It, it, again, it's kind of this thing where if you're in the Catholic Church, you're good to go. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the first thing I think we need to step back and say, let's let's get back to the basics here. What is the gospel? Isn't that insulting to them because the gospel, the word, the gospel is used almost every Mass, I think, um, and it would be insulting for them to think, well, of course we believe the gospel, but they can't articulate it. And doesn't it all come back to their belief in the authority of Scripture alone? Well, they don't believe in the authority of Scripture alone. They say they believe the Bible, and they believe church tradition, and for authority they go by whatever the Pope decides when he's speaking ex cathedra. Mm -hmm. But... They've also added to the scriptures they say they believe in the Apocrypha, books that were not divinely inspired and gospels not even written by those who bear the name. No, they don't actually add, add any gospels. No, the, the, oh, that, I'm, sorry, I'm thinking yeah. about the Gnostic gospels. Yeah, the, okay. those are different. But the Apocrypha, those books that were added between the Old Testament and the New Testament in the Catholic Wisdom, Bible. Wisdom, Maccabees, and those other ones. Yeah, yeah, they're not divinely inspired. Well, now, Catholics would claim they are, and, okay. and I think the key is, and as, as I understand the early councils and what they decided which book should be in the Bible, they looked for uh, authority in, of the author, uh, were there witnesses, and are there, is there anything in these books that are contradictory to the Old Testament? 
And so the, the if you will, the early Protestant church, the early, early, early church said, no, those books are not in the gospel. The Catholic Church has added wisdom and Maccabees and others back into it. I've never taken a lot of time to read those books. The Maccabees are about the Maccabean revolt. There's some history Absolutely. that's accurate and that, that could be looked at as something that we can learn from. But as far as divine scripture and inspiration, inspiration of scriptures, can you say, because how do we talk to them about the authority of scripture when there's a lot of extra books in the Catholic Bible. That's where I would say whether this person be a Roman Catholic or an evangelical or a Lutheran, if anyone's questioning their church, I think let's take it back to step one. Do we know what the gospel is? Do we know what the gospel is? Mm -hmm. 1 Corinthians 15, it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. What does that do? His death took God's wrath upon ourselves. His burial and resurrection showed God's power over sin and death. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of non-Catholics, a lot of professing yeah. Christians that yep. don't know the gospel. So yeah. I think you know we need to go right back to the basics here. Whenever you have somebody questioning their church affiliation or denomination, I, the first thing I say to them is forget denominations. Really, forget yeah. that stuff. Yeah. It is about your relationship to Jesus Christ. Do you believe he is who he said he is? Mm-hmm. Do you believe he accomplished what he said he accomplished? And have you acknowledged your sinful nature, confessed before him, and placed your intellectual and emotional trust in him? Uh, this denominational stuff, is it, it does more damage than good, I think, many times. I think it, it's challenging. I mean, for our Protestant or evangelical um, friends that maybe aren't good at explaining the gospel. Maybe they've never truly been converted. Some of them maybe haven't. We see a lot of apathy and kind of biblical illiteracy in the church, and we talk about that quite often on this program. But in the Catholic Church, there are also moderates who don't understand the church's teachings, but they also don't understand the gospel, as you said. So you've got them in every denomination, but the Catholic Church also has other teachings. Yes. We're not just just talking about lukewarm or a biblical literacy or apathy about spiritual things here. Uh, we're talking about Mariology. We're talking about idolatry. We're talking about the, the sacraments and other things that they practice and believe in that are additional teachings based on church tradition. Some of them might be biblical practices like the sacrament of baptism, but they take it a step and go, okay, it's infant baptism, and then you're saved, and then the confirmation you know, we don't believe that you receive the Holy Spirit by going to a church and being confirmed. So there are different teachings, and you can go on down this list. Yeah, I mean, you look at baptism, you look at communion, you look at confirmation. Those are traditional practices in Protestant churches. We baptize, we go up as adults, adults. we baptize. Yeah. It's, a, it's a profession of our testimony. Confirmation, we often bring our church in, our, our children in front of the church, and we, we commit them to the Lord. That would be Dedication. The, yeah, that yeah. would be the, the, the equivalent of Catholic confirmation. Um, and certainly communion. We, we commemorate the breaking of Christ's body and the pouring out of his blood for our sins. Catholics believe that through some magical thing, the priest actually makes it the literal body and blood of Christ. We don't believe that as Protestants. We believe it is symbolic. So, yeah. But I, I think where, where many Catholics get confused, Dave, is they look at these sacraments of baptism, confirmation, uh, and, and what they call the Eucharist as means of salvation. We view them as testimony to our salvation. And, and that's where we can help our Catholic friends understand. Going to communion, being baptized, being confirmed does not save you. Those are things you do 
when you've been saved as as a commitment to God and a, a following of his commandments. The danger of doing all these things, it's not bad in and of themselves, but it's it's almost like you start wanting to uh, keep the law. We're keeping the law. We're obeying all these things that our church tells us to do, but it's if it's not in your heart and you're truly yeah. not converted with the gospel, then there's a problem. Yeah, it's kind of that strain of Judaizers in that early first century, century too, that it's faith in Christ plus, where mm. Paul said, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's confession and faith in Christ alone. So, But interesting, uh, there's an opportunity here, and if you have Catholic friends who are confused about all this going on in the, the Catholic Church, first of all, understand there's a lot of denominations struggling with, with uh, sexual sin right now. So let's be humble about it, but let's get back to the basics and point people to the gospel. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show and tell you about our guest tomorrow. Have a question for Mike? Email him anytime at comments at standupforthetruth.com. We'll wrap up Stand Up For The Truth in a moment. We're getting ready to wrap up today's show. Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at standupforthetruth.com slash donate. Now, here's Mike LeMay. Well, tomorrow, Crash and I are joined by Gary Kaw of Hope for the World. A lot going on in the Middle East, uh, Syria, Israel, the West Bank, renewed attacks against Israel over the weekend. A lot of evangelicals are a little nervous about the uh, Donald Trump peace plan. They're starting to hear little tidbits of it. Some things encouraging, some not so encouraging. We're also going to talk with Gary about the reality of the coming of persecution to Christians in America. Not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So how do we balance standing up for our religious rights, but also preparing for the day when we are driven underground, perhaps imprisoned, maybe even killed over our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible many, many times says he who remains faithful to the end will be saved. We tend to gloss over that a little bit because we claim our once saved, always saves theology. We don't test ourselves. Uh, The time is coming when all of us are going to be tested in this nation. If you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, the testing is coming. Hope you can join us for our sixth annual Watchman Conference. We're going to be talking about that and other things. Again, to register, if you want some more information, just email me, mike at q90fm.com. And uh, we've got links to Preston Condra's books on our podcast today. Check them out. I think they'll be helpful, particularly if you're a parent or a grandparent. And then join us tomorrow with Gary Kov, Hope for the World. For David Fiorazzo, Mike LeMay, standing up for the truth. I hope you have a very blessed day. Take some time today, no matter how busy you are, to thank God for the many, many blessings he has given each of us. Be bold, strong, and unashamed of the gospel. The Lord your God is always with you. Comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. We'll wrap up Stand Up For The Truth in a moment. We're getting ready to wrap up today's show. Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. Now, here's Mike LeMay. Well, tomorrow, Crash and I are joined by Gary Kaw of Hope for the World. A lot going on in the Middle East, uh, Syria, Israel, the West Bank, renewed attacks against Israel over the weekend. A lot of evangelicals are a little nervous about the uh, Donald Trump peace plan. They're starting to hear little tidbits of it. Some things encouraging, some not so encouraging. We're also going to talk with Gary about the reality of the coming of persecution to Christians in America. Not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So how do we balance standing up 
for our religious rights, but also preparing for the day when we are driven underground, perhaps imprisoned, maybe even killed over our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible many, many times says he who remains faithful to the end will be saved. We tend to gloss over that a little bit because we claim our once saved, always saves theology. We don't test ourselves. Uh, The time is coming when all of us are going to be tested in this nation. If you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, the testing is coming. Hope you can join us for our sixth annual Watchman Conference. We're going to be talking about that and other things. Again, to register, if you want some more information, just email me, mike at q90fm.com. And uh, we've got links and to Preston Condra's books on our podcast today. Check them out. I think they'll be helpful, particularly if you're a parent or a grandparent. And then join us tomorrow with Gary Kov, Hope for the World. For David Fiorazzo, Mike LeMay, standing up for the truth. I hope you have a very blessed day. Take some time today, no matter how busy you are, to thank God for the many, many blessings he has given each of us. Be bold, strong, and unashamed of the gospel. The Lord your God is always with you. 